Welcome to the Worship Place podcast. We are thankful we can worship with you and pray this message blesses your day. We look forward to seeing you in person next service. like to say blessed are they let them be blessed Lord let them be blessed he's saying no you're supposed to be doing this stuff Uh, you know uh, Savannah had come up she got a revelation she I think she shared it she's gonna share it again but on meekness and she was thinking I don't want to be meek remember that I think it was last week like meek I already know what kind of personality that is that's not I'm like a soldier I mean, I've never actually prayed for meekness either. I just thought, well, I value you and you value me. Right? We all need each other. But that revelation that she got was meekness is someone who has all power and chooses when they're going to restrain. So it's not a weak person at all. It's someone that can take your job Mm -hmm. and decides today, I'll give you mercy. Might not be tomorrow, but today, I'm going to not do it. So when these beatitudes that we see, God wants us, now this is cute and I love it, but it's serious. God doesn't want us to do church. He wants us to be the church. So what we tend to do is objectify miracles. We objectify healing. So it's separate and apart from us, something that we cannot obtain, and we're trying to obtain it. Rather than knowing that healing is here, the law is in action, and it is for us to let healing flow through us to other people. That's why we're to lay on hands. Sometimes we pray for the sick, and sometimes it's said lay hands. Um, sometimes it's say anoint with oil. Just proving God, he doesn't like boring stuff. Like, keep it moving. Keep doing different stuff. If this doesn't work, try that. Um, he's a very interesting human. Uh, he, he was a very interesting yeah. human. He's a very interesting God. Because you just can't get to the depths of him. And the more you get to the closer to the depths of him, the more confused you become. Like, what? I didn't know that about you. Like, this person told me this. And so he begins to reveal. That's why we have to be God chasers. We're actually saying, reveal to me something today that I don't even know about you yet. But when you reveal it to me, I can share it with someone else. This is good ways to start conversations with just your neighbor. You know, the other day I was just sitting in the breakfast table and I was reading the scripture, and the Lord said this. I go, really? See, if, if it's a, just a running dialogue, it's not like, do you go to church? That's how you be the church. The church is just a running. It's like when we come into his presence, um, catching a download. And when we don't worship on Sunday mornings and we leave it to others, we're just like that little ball on your computer. You're, you're actually, you're a hindrance. Because like God said this morning in the message, he listens for your voice. He wants to know if you're thankful. Are you thankful for the trial that you're in right now? Even if you can't be thankful, believe me, I've been there. I'm thankful for the day that he delivers me from this trial. And I'm thankful for all the things he's taught me in the midst of it. So there's ways to actually be truly grateful. So what we're talking about is we don't want to, if, you're, if, if we objectify miracles and healings and helping people receive the Holy Ghost, and we're just going, God, come down and do it. No, we, if we are the church, it's a natural extension of everything we do. Like we're in the grocery store, 
And somebody says, I'm sick. And you go, oh, would you, would you like me to pray for you? I know sickness has been going around. You know, it doesn't matter if they say no and look at you crazy, say, okay, God bless you, have a great day. Like, you're not affected if you are the church. Your feelings aren't on your shoulder, and you're not embarrassed because it's not for you that you're doing it. If you ask for money from someone, you can get embarrassed by that, right? Like, you're like this is so embarrassing. I left my wallet at home, you know. So you're embarrassed by that. But when you ask for someone else, you don't feel that same type of embarrassment. So when we do things and we're not the subject of the thought, because it's so easy for us, and I will tell you this, if you're a quiet person, you probably are dealing with even more than a loudmouth person is dealing with. Because you, ta you take pride in the fact that you do not speak out of turn. Okay? So, you know, the devil has hidden ways of catching us that don't seem unrighteous. Because to the person that runs their mouth all the time, says the wrong thing, we're thinking, you just had a little bit of the grace that I have. You, you just talked a little less. And the person that's talking is just thinking, my God, if I could just ask them what was wrong and they would tell me, life would be incredible. Then I could fix it. And the quiet person thinks, no, I'm not going to tell you. You can guess. I'm just going to keep it inside and learn how to hide my feelings. Okay? That, neither one of those are righteous. Now, the person that's quiet and keeps all their anger inside, they feel more self-righteous because they feel like they control their spirit. But there's other scriptures that are offending. They're not coming and laying their offering at the altar and going and saying, you know, I actually, I tried to get over it, but I realized I'm sorry, I can't. When you said this the other day, what did you mean? Because this is the way I took it. It could have been totally wrong. But give the person a chance to tell you something so that you can come understanding. And if it, in worst case scenario, it came just like you took it, which I will say, um, it's a spirit of pride that keeps you from going to your brother because you feel like you're spiritual enough that you can handle the offense. And it actually is an act of surrendered obedience to go to the person and say, I'm sorry. I thought I could just get over on my own. But let's just talk because maybe it wasn't even what I thought it was. And we give each other a chance. And in that surrendered, obedient moment, you will feel humble. You'll feel like a human being that actually needs mercy. Um, whether they tell you your worst case scenario or not, you've still done. Remember what the Bible says? To obey is better than to lay a magnificent sacrifice. It took me a long time because I rarely said the wrong thing because I was quiet all the time. But I also lived in my head, and it wasn't a good, I, it wasn't a good zone because I don't know when it happened. I don't know what made it happen as a young person. But I began to have thoughts of they were self-focused, but they weren't good-focused. So um, just don't say anything. You say the wrong thing. Just um, don't sing loud. Just don't look at them because they said something hateful. Don't look at them anymore. And it was, but then, you, how many of you have done it? Because we all have done passive aggress aggressive maneuvers, right? How many of you sleep good when you're passive aggressive toward any situation? Do you not roll on your pillow over and over and you'll think of a thousand ways you should have told? And the truth of the matter is you really should have. Because once God sets you free from the prison and you realize that to be humble and obedient is better for me to sell my house and give it to the poor. I think how big that is. Better than any sacrifice is just to say, 
I guess I'm no better than anybody else. And what you said, I don't, it cut me to the quick. How did you mean it? And that is opened. And you don't accuse. You open conversation in a, in a kind way. And that person can respond. And then when you find out that, oh, it really, if you ever do, I never have. Because either they meant it in the moment, but they don't mean it now. And they reposition the way that they're telling it to you. And you let them have it. Because that's graciousness. Even though you saw that anger flicker out of them. Even though you saw that look of scorn. Go ahead and let them have it. Because in that moment, you're gracious. You're like the Father. Let them stand good for themselves. But as for us, we practice being honest. Yes, my boss had irritated me that day. And I don't know why, but that thing that you said, that was just the final straw. And this is the way it hit me. And in that person's sense, I had no idea. That was a day that that I had been wanting to tell you that for weeks. And it just came out on the wrong day. And look, this is how humble. You humbly come into the presence of the Lord. When you're quiet, you are so bound with so many spirits. And I speak from experience. And you will have to break all that self-hatred and all those mean things you say to yourself. And I want you to practice changing your narrative. Because God is not that person. We think if we condemn our own self that we're speaking God's word to us. But Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. But I'll tell you who did. I'll tell you something else about him. He'll lure you. He'll seduce you. Day and night. To do this thing. And once you do it, he starts criticizing you and saying, look at you, you're a sinner. You'll never have the power of God that you would have had, had you just done the right thing. And then he goes before the throne of God and says, starts accusing you. Like, how many of you go to the throne of God, take cases to the throne of God now? I encourage everybody to come on Wednesday nights because you're going to learn spiritual truths in the spirit that most people don't know. And they're deep. But they will heal you. They will change you. They will make you the Christian you daydreamed of becoming. Because it's a time of family talk. When you have those family talks and you say, look, we all know that we don't have enough money for Christmas. And we're fixing to go out with this family that has plenty of money. And when we go to that restaurant, you guys only order the children's plates. Now, this is a family secret. Don't say nothing, but you just order the children's plates because that's all we can afford. That's the kind of information you get on Wednesday night. The inner workings of the spirit. The inner workings of the family of God. And you become a part of that tight-knit body that kind of can look at each other and know, oh, we're dealing with a demon over here. Oh, good. Come on. We're ready for you. And you just take it with the joy. Take it on the chin. So I just, I hope that when you go out of the church this morning, you will be the church. When you walk into a building, never go anywhere, not someone's house, not the grocery store, that you don't give something. Remember what we learned about prophetic giving on Wednesday nights? Where you go, and the Bible says, and you walk into a building, you're to send your peace throughout the building. And listen to the eeriness of the spirit. Your peace is going to go throughout that building. And if it sees somebody that's not worthy, your peace will come right back to you. But if, you, but if your peace finds a worthy person, your peace stays with them. This is the things of the spirit. God wants you to not go nowhere without giving something, leaving something, changing something. We are the world changers because 
if we are the church, we don't walk into a building, but what we don't say, bless the owner of this building right here, Lord Jesus. The people that are in here today, I send the spirit of peace in this room. I bless you. Then you start blessing people with your mouth. And then when you come at home at night, you're not thinking about how you've gained 10 pounds. You're thinking about, my God, I did the Lord's work today, and it feels incredible. God bless you. pray that we put our soul prints all over this town, everywhere. We're going to release our Sunday school classes at this time. God bless you. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, verses 1 through 8. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God hath ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And in a few verses later, the famous verse, eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. You recognize that one, right? Not talking about heaven. Because he has revealed them unto us by his spirit. Talking about the power of revelation. I want to preach uh, this morning. Uh, first of all, I want to say this. So you'll understand my subject. The devil's a player. And I want to preach on how to play a player. Thank you, precious Jesus. We thank you for the power of your spirit. We pray that the hand of God would minister in this place this morning. Release everyone that's under a load of sin, shame, discouragement. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor say, the devil's a player. What is a player anyway? Maybe I should ask, do we have any players in the church? I, I, didn't, I didn't, I knew you knew, you may not know exactly what it is, but you knew it was something not good. What's a player? Well, one definition of a player is a professional dater. They date this one and that one. They date the other one and another one. But they never commit. The devil is a player this morning because he wants you to commit to him without him committing to you. Devil's not your friend. He's never been anybody's friend. The devil don't even have a heart to give anyone because he's a player. And there are perhaps maybe people in this church right now under the sound of my voice. You're dating Jesus, but going steady with the flesh. It's not enough to just show up at church a couple of times a week. If you're spending most of your time in the flesh, somebody needs to break up with the flesh this morning and fall back in love with Jesus. Hallelujah. Can I get a witness out here? They call them players because players view dating as nothing more than a game. 
and they play the game to win. When the Lord interviewed, the devil is a player because that's the way he looks at relationships. When the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job, how there's none like him in all the earth? These were the words of the player. Doth Job serve God for naught? Let me add his stuff and I'll get him to curse you to your face. So players treat relationships, in Job's case, as if it was a pray-for-pay scheme. God doesn't treat relationships like that. With God, relationships are not a game. They're covenants. And covenants are contracts. And a contract with God is unbreakable on his end. Come on, he made a promise to somebody in this place. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's an ironclad promise that you've got God no matter what unless you walk away from him. Come on. But I'm going to hold on to my Jesus. And so players will try to win uh, someone's heart without giving them theirs. But you know, and maybe and a lot of people end up in the arms of the devil looking for love in all the wrong places. A famous tattoo artist just put up a, I just saw an article yesterday about some famous Hollywood tattoo artist that was an avowed witch and worshiper of Satan. Her name is Kat Von D. If you've ever heard of her or seen her, you know who I'm talking about. She just wrote a piece that said, I'm turning away from witchcraft. I found that witchcraft isn't working for me. Get ready. The tide is fixing to turn. People are about to discover witchcraft doesn't work. Drug addiction doesn't work. Crime and wickedness doesn't work. Sin in all of its forms doesn't work. Jesus, oh, if you're looking for someone to love you, the devil has never loved anybody, but Jesus loves everyone, everywhere. Oh, praise God. How do I know Jesus loves me? God loved us first. We love him because he first. God loved us first. He committed first. While we were yet sinners, Christ, he loved first. He committed first and he forgave. Oh, hallelujah. He forgave you before you asked for it. He made forgiveness available through the blood of Jesus Christ so that when you ask for forgiveness, it's there for you. Oh, how can you not love a God like this today? Amen. So say it again. The devil's a player. But the scripture I read to you said, if the princes of this world knew, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why? Because the player got played. I said the devil is a player that got played by Jesus Christ on Calvary. Because the player didn't know it at the time. He thought he was eliminating Jesus. What he was doing was undermining his own situation. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, somebody. I'm, I'm telling you, whether you like it or not, you're in a life, a, a, a death match, as it were, with a player. And you're going to have to learn how to play this player. Because if you don't play him, he'll play you. Amen. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But Paul told us how to play the player. He said it this way. First of all, you need revelation. 
For I determined, verse 2, not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, the player wants to play you by overloading your senses with worry, fears, troubles, doubts, sickness, pain, rumors, and everything else to get your eyes off the prize. But Paul said, if you want to take this player down, you got to determine to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. You got to put your eyes on Jesus. You got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Otherwise, you might suffer from the Elijah syndrome. What is the Elijah syndrome? The Elijah syndrome is when you go from being fired up to being burnt out. Elijah took on the prophets of Baal, 450 of them. He challenged them to the Super Bowl of sacrifice. He said, let the true God be the God that answers by fire. He said, y'all go first. Prepare your altar. Put your sacrifice, but no fire under it. The prophets of Baal gave it all they had. They danced, they shouted, they cut themselves, they cried out, nothing happened. Then at the time of evening sacrifice, Elijah said, simple prayer, oh God. And the next thing you know, fire fell. Fire fell and consumed the sacrifice, consumed the wood, consumed the water, consumed the rocks. It burned up everything. And when Jezebel found out that Elijah had defeated the prophets of Baal, she said, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be where they are. I'm going to take you out. Now, he went from being fired up to being burned out. He started running. Let me tell you something. Don't you ever run from a spirit. Don't you ever run from Jezebel. Don't you ever run from the player. Once you start running, you'll run all the rest of your life. When you've done everything you know to do and don't know what else to do, stand with the whole armor of God on and face the enemy down in Jesus' name. Somebody needs to stand. And so he went under a, under a broom tree and he threw himself on the ground. And the Jezebel spirit chased him and pushed him to the breaking point. And he asked for God to kill him. I want to say something. No, you don't want to give up on God. But you want to give up on you. If Christ is in you and you give up on you, you've given up on God. The Jezebel spirit wants to attack you with the urgent instead of the important. She said, by this time, set your watch, buddy. By this time, tomorrow, you're a dead man. Oh, hallelujah. I can almost tell when some of y'all's bills are due. You lose your joy. You come to church like this. When the offering comes, you look the other way. Come on, somebody. Don't let the urgent destroy what is important in your life. The Jezebel spirit works through isolation. Elijah said, I'm the only one left. Problem with thinking that way is you're wrong. You're not the only one living for God. You're not the only one sacrificing. You're not the only one that cares about the law. Oh. And the Lord answered him and said, this is why you need revelation. The Lord, he showed him something he didn't know. I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal or kissed a, a pagan altar. Don't think you know when you don't know. Hallelujah. Because when the devil attacks you, amen, lift your hands and say, Lord, I know you know what I don't know. You send me a little revelation and I'll be able to overthrow the enemy. And so Jezebel won't let you rest. You know what he you know what Elijah needed a good old fashioned nap. The Lord let him sleep. 
Let him rest. And so revelation. Remember, eye hath not seen. This is the same context. Ear hath not heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But he hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. Revelation comes when you position yourself for the supernatural. Verse number three of our text. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. That's the place I don't want to go. I want to be with you in strength and in good times. Let the good times roll. Problem is that sometimes the good times aren't rolling. Sometimes it's troublesome. Sometimes it's fearsome. He said, I was with you in weakness. You see, I, I, I want to I, I, I say to someone who has been in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, it's time, if you're sick and tired, for you to become sick and tired of being tired and sick. Spirit revelation comes to you and me in a time, perhaps when we're at our weak moments, in ways that otherwise he wouldn't come. Restored a man that was terrorized by a grizzly bear for several days. He was a miner. He had a little miner shack. Grizzly bear tore the door off of his shack. He fired a couple of, had a handgun. He fired a couple of rounds to chase it off, and, but it came back. Night after night, it come back. He had two bullets left in a handgun, which isn't much defense against a bear like that. He already had been wounded on his leg when it attacked him the first time, and he expected he would probably be, die out there, and the bear would devour him, or they would just find his remains. Somehow he managed to get up on the roof of his shack and scribble out SOS. And a passing helicopter spotted it, landed, and brought the man uh, to safety and got him medical treatment. Just about the time that he had given up. Let me say this. Revelation seldom comes to you when you're feeling worthy of it. I've never gotten a revelation in the Lazy Boy recliner. Usually you get it in the valley of the shadow of death. Usually get it when you're weak and overwhelmed and overpowered by circumstances. At Kadesh Barnea, they got a glimpse of the promised land. And Moses sent out 12 spies to spy out the land and see if it was everything God said it would be. And it was, with one exception. There were giants. There were walled cities. There were fortifications. And they seemed like grasshoppers. Let me tell you something. We're either going to get our vision from God or you're going to get one from the devil. I don't want to see myself as a grasshopper. I want to see myself as a giant killer. You're not a grasshopper. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not a grasshopper. A grasshopper is a pest. You're a giant killer in the name of Jesus. And we're coming against giants of doubt and worry and fear. And we're coming against giants of cancer and heart disease and diabetes. And we're coming against giants of witchcraft and demon possession and alcoholism. We're coming against ancestral spirits. Come on. We're coming against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. And so they looked to Moses and they said, we can't, we, we can't do it. We can't go. And so they lost 40 years. They lost an entire generation because they couldn't accept the terms of the blessing. What are the terms of the blessing? Uncertainty. If we're ever going to be used in the Holy Ghost, we must acquaint ourselves with uncertainty. The minute we think we've got a plan for everything, you'll execute your plan, but God may not be in it. Jesus told us when you have to open your mouth to give a defense for your very life, don't prepare in advance. He said the Holy Ghost 
will give you what? He said the Holy Ghost will give you what you need to say when you need to say it. There is the principle of releasing the power of miracles, signs, and wonders. We must be prepared to step in to the unknown, to the unscripted, to the unanticipated, and see what the Lord will do. Joshua and Caleb said, let's go. They're meat for us. I'll have giant on the barbie. Nothing reveals more clearly the state of our spiritual condition than how we act when we don't know. Paul, in order to get revelation, said, I purposed not to know. I went before the Lord purposing not to know. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. I didn't know what was coming next. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how it was going to work out. Oh, my God. Revelation comes when you choose demonstration rather than articulation. Some of you wonder what's happened to me. I'll tell you what's happened to me. I always, for 25 years, knew what I was going to say and how I was going to say it. But you know what I found out? If we're going to get God to do something different, maybe we have to do something a little different. So now I want to practice demonstration rather than just articulation. How many remembers the old walkie-talkie? And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. What does a walkie-talkie have to do with anything? We need to do more walkie and less talkie. You want to play the player? Do more walking and less talking. All right, watch this. When studying the book of Acts, how many has ever heard me say that, and, and others have said it as well, it's certainly not original, it's obvious. The, the book of Acts is the only place where you find people actually being born again of the water and spirit. Right? Doesn't happen in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because it's not available. Doesn't happen in the epistles because there's no actual events taking place there. The only place where they're being born again in real time is in the book of Acts. Oh, how awesome. Someone ought to shout over that. That's the truth. I'm, that's not a trap. That's the truth. But I got it caught in my own book of Acts trap. All of a sudden, as the Lord said, that's not all. I said, that's not all? No. Acts is also the only place where miracles happened in real time wrought by the hands of the apostles. So here's the deal, apostolic people. We've become so focused on the new birth experience that we've overlooked the miracles. Come on. Acts 3, miracle. Acts 8, miracles. Acts 10, 9 and 10, miracles. Oh, my God. Acts 16, miracle. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus, uh, if you, oh, I want to do, I want to do more than just talk about it. I want to put it into practice in Jesus' name. All right, you need revelation. Revelation comes when your faith is active and not static. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The wisdom of men is passive faith. The power of God is active faith. Active faith is now faith. It's easy to have someday faith. I believe we're going to have a revival someday. If you hear an evangelist somewhere and that's their message and you want me to bring them here, don't ask me to do it. I, I know that. I want to know who believes it can happen now. 
I want to know who thinks God can do a miracle today. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of not someday faith. Jesus met a Samaritan woman who said, I know someday Messiah's going to come and everything's going to be okay. And Messiah said, if you only knew someday is today, I'm standing right here. Watch this now. Revelation is the only thing powerful enough to challenge demonic philosophical thinking. Verse number six. Howbeit we speak the wisdom of God in, in a mystery. Howbeit we speak the wisdom of God among them that are perfect. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. Did you know that the devil is a philosopher? Hath not God said? And to Jesus, he even said, if thou be the son of God. Revelation is the only weapon equal to the task of overthrowing demonic philosophical attacks. Colossians chapter number two. I'm reading from the Amplified Classic. See to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourselves captive by his so-called philosophy and intellectualism and vain deceit, idle fancies and plain nonsense, following after human tradition, men's ideas of material rather than spiritual world, just crude notions following the rudimentary and elemental teachings of the universe and disregarding the teachings of Christ the Messiah. King James puts this this way, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit after the rudiments of the world, after the traditions of men, right? For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of principality and power. When you know who Jesus is, you got a leg up on the player. And Jesus, and Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not teach you this, but it was revealed to you by the Spirit. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Oh, my God, in the name of when you know that you belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to you uh, and Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead, you play the player. Watch this. Let me read a little bit more. Verse 13. Or verse 14. Having canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note. The bond, the ordinances, which was legal decrees and demands, which was in force and stood against us. This note, with its regulations, decrees, and demands, he set aside and cleared completely out of our way, nailing it to his cross. <laughs> Satan had a title deed to your soul. But Jesus paid the bill. God, verse 15, disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them triumphing over them in him at the cross. Where do we read about this? I'll tell you, you don't read it in the Gospels. It's revealed to Paul. You need to get a picture of the triumphant Jesus uh, traveling his chariot like a Roman chariot. And tethered to the back of the chariot is a handcuffed devil. And he's being drugged through the streets uh, as the parading throngs of Holy Ghost filled uh, men and women through the ages are celebrating Christ's victory over Satan. Yeah, when you get a vision of that, you play the James 1 and 5 says this, if any, man, any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, give it to all men liberally. Demonic wisdom is unasked for. 
If you think you know what to do without prayer, watch it. If you make important decisions without carefully bringing it to the Lord, watch out. Wisdom has to come from above, from the Lord who giveth to all men liberally, and it braideth not. If you know what to do, if you know what you need to do without ever having to pray about it, don't do it yet. James 3. I'm going to wrap up in two minutes here. The wisdom, this wisdom, James 3 and 15, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but it's earthly, sensual, devilish. The player wants you to operate through demonic wisdom. Listen to Young's literal translation. This wisdom is not descending from above, but earthly, physical, demon-like. Demonic wisdom begins at the natural plane, and it descends from there. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. The wisdom from above begins at the throne and comes down to us. Demonic wisdom begins with man and it descends from there until it develops a materialistic philosophy that you don't, there is nothing spiritual. Everything that's real is only what you can measure and taste and see and touch. The, the, the princes of this world, if they'd only known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Only two places this is used, in 1 Corinthians 2 and 6 and 2 and 8. Now, the word princes is used by Jesus, John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. John 14, 30. Herefore, thereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. John 16, 11. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Ephesians 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. That one used to work in you. Watch this. Satan has knowledge, but he has no revelation. How can I say that? Because had they known what Jesus was doing, <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's why I said, you want to play the player, plug into the Spirit and get a word from God and get a breakthrough and get a revelation of who Jesus is and what Jesus has planned for you, and you'll overthrow him. Oh, I, he don't want me to say it. I'm going to say it again. The devil has knowledge, but he doesn't have revelation. The devil has knowledge, and he doesn't have revelation. Sometimes we lack knowledge, but if we've got revelation, we got the upper. Oh, hallelujah. Watch this. Uh, through the wisdom of God, Satan initiated the torture on Calvary, which brought Jesus to an untimely death. And by doing so, God allowed the devil to participate in his own defeat. If you walk in revelation, you'll watch the devil defeat himself. My God. So, Jesus led the serpent back to the tree. Bible said that he was crucified on a tree. Satan plundered Adam with what he didn't know. Jesus freely knows good and evil. Do I grow? Jesus defeated Satan by what he couldn't understand. As the princes of this world 
struggle. Jesus defeated the devil with the same two weapons that were available to Adam. What God said, his word, and God's presence. What did Adam have? God's word. Of all the trees in the garden, you can eat freely, but the one in the midst of the good and evil, don't you eat that one. You're going to die. And the Lord came right on schedule, his presence, in the cool of the day. Even when Adam was hiding from God, his presence still showed up. You want to play the player? Get a hold of his word. Stay in his presence. I want us to stand. Hallelujah. Why do we take time sometimes in a service to worship and with uh, and just allow? Because we need his presence. If you're here today and you have not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking with other tongues, you need to receive it and you can receive it. If Satan knew, it would have been a bloodless meal. If Satan knew, Jesus wouldn't have been killed on Passover. He'd have killed him on any other day, but not that one. He didn't know. He didn't have revelation. So don't ever let him tell you who you are or what you're going to amount to. He doesn't know. Oh, I feel like somebody's going to shake the title. Somebody needs to shake a label off of you. If, you need, if you've been told you're something and you want out of that label, come up here. Someone told you you were stupid. Someone told you you were, you were carnal. Someone told you you can't be saved. Someone told you you're hopeless. Someone told you you're unlovable. Come on, come up here. God wants to liberate you. The devil don't know who you are or what you can become. Only God knows that. These altars are open for someone who wants a start on life right now in the name of Jesus. Somebody told you you're weak and you're getting weaker. You're sick and you're getting sicker. You're poor and you're getting poor. He don't know. He doesn't know. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. But you can know. You can know. You can know. Oh, my God. Everybody. Come on, everybody. Let's take a minute here. Let's take a minute. Come and bring your heart forward. Let's come in the presence of the Lord. You've got a word. Now get some presence. You've got a word. Now get his presence. The enemy can't touch you. The enemy can't touch you. He can't. He can't. He won't. I have not seen. Ear hath not heard. The things that God has prepared. But he's revealed them. Unto us by his spirit. Come on, by his spirit. Spirit brings revelation. Spirit brings comprehension. Spirit brings understanding. In the name of Jesus.